Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is January 30th. Hope everybody's doing well. We're going to talk about how the Milwaukee Bucks showed promise in a losing effort in Doc Rivers' first game. We're going to do a tap list also from Bucks Nuggets. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator, where we sit, talk about all the different options at this point, do a little deep dive there. And then lastly, we'll go through the brackets. We'll talk about Marquette's path right now uh, per a few different brackets. We're also going to talk about would I get scared of Wisconsin making a Final Four um, and Green Bay in the mix. So we have three Wisconsin schools right now uh, being part of the conversation, which is great. Speaking of conversation, you can tap in uh, on Twitter slash X at Tapping the Keg, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok or Facebook. Uh, we also uh, are on the PSF app. I don't know if I'm going live tonight. Um, I've done a bad job of communicating that, kind of the perils of doing this podcast, doing content creation, doing a actual job. Um, you just don't have as much time as maybe you'd like. Uh, and then you have other responsibilities with life. So anyways, maybe I'm on there tonight. Um, if nothing else, I will try to chat on there. Um, so a, a, this is kind of an alternate option. Just consider it like a group chat uh, to talk about Marquette. Um, so I'll still be tweeting. Um, I'm not going to do the whole blue sky thing like someone else uh, in the Marquette community. Uh, but I will, I will certainly have some thoughts uh, throughout the game on maybe both platforms. So uh, stay tuned there. Um, and as for social media, or as for uh, if you are from social media, this is the first time you're doing the podcast. We're going four days a week. Uh, I think we'll have a pod. We'll definitely have a pod tomorrow. I don't know if we'll have a pod Thursday or we'll have a pod Friday uh, with Mitch. Um, it depends on just Mitch's schedule. And yeah, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. And if we're not where we, where you are, hit me up on any of those social media platforms I just mentioned. We'll make sure that our podcast is on there so you have it easily for you. Um, try to at least let you know um, that the podcast is live on all the different social channels. So make sure that you're following along there. That's the easiest way to know when we have a new podcast. It's a little later um, than I typically like to do. I'm um, just, you know, slept in a little bit. Uh, and that, you know, it happens to the best of us. So uh, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and why I saw some promise last night, even in a losing effort. The Doc Rivers era is underway in Milwaukee. Uh, it started out in Denver. Uh, that is not easy. Um, that is literally the hardest place that possibly you could start your coaching career uh, for a new team in the middle of the season, right? Doc didn't get a stretch of Charlotte, Washington, Detroit, San Antonio, uh, which would be great. I mean, that would have been ideal, right? Uh, the Bucks were able to kind of gather their bearings and sort of see what they had. But Milwaukee plays one of the toughest schedules for the rest of the year. Uh, this stretch so in the next week plus is absolute hell uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it, it, it's not an easy you know, job at, by any means. You know, Doc got memed saying he wouldn't wish this on anybody. Um, but really, I, I think that was Doc Rivers just saying that this is not an easy thing to do. This is not something that is going to happen overnight. Um, that the Bucs aren't going to immediately fix all of their issues right away. The Milwaukee Bucks defense, though, looked much better. And it has looked better for the last four games. Post-Adrian Griffin, the Milwaukee Bucks look like the defensive team that we saw last season. And you can say, all right, yeah, the Bucs lost. But the Bucs gave up 113 points. The Bucs have not given up 120 points 
in the first four games now in the post-Griffin era. I'd have to look and see if the Bucs did that all season so far this year. And the NBA scoring is at an all-time high, and there's a ton of discussion on that, and we, we don't need to necessarily delve in. But I, I think the more important thing is the fact that the Bucs give a shit on that side of the ball and that the Bucs are doing things that fit the personnel that they have, and it, they look very connected. It looks a lot different than what we saw at the start of the year. You know, Adrian Griffin's defense was a mess in game two when the Bucs got blown out by the Hawks. Then they got blown out by Toronto. It was never a, a good defense. They never, there never was glimmers that this defense was, you know, suddenly dominant, right? So I think the fact that that is already looking better is a good sign for this Milwaukee Bucks team. I think that is important. I think it's important that the Bucks are, you know, offensively, they're getting shots. They're a little too selfish. There's a little too much ISO going on. And I remember some critiques of Doc have been that they're, they don't really have exactly a offense. It's more ISO based. Um, and I, I just remember from like Simmons and from other people where it's like, yeah, it's a little clogged toilet at times, which you could definitely see some stagnation with the Milwaukee Bucks. But I, I think it's, again, a sort of let's get comfortable. Let's figure out, you know, what we're doing. Denver did a really good job of keeping Dame Lillard away from the basketball. And that's credit to KCP. That's credit to what they did out on the perimeter. They had a great game plan for Damian Lillard. And that's probably Denver, you know, looking at what they did against Portland and what went right and what didn't when they faced Dame. And so I, I give Denver a lot of credit. And sometimes you just have to give that credit. And that to me was an interesting thing on, you know, the harshness of Damian Lillard and sort of like, I felt like people were being, you know, aggressive towards him because they needed somebody else to blame. It's like, well, I can't blame the coach anymore. So we have to blame, you know, a player, an individual. And so I, I think that that to me is, is interesting um, and not necessarily something that we should do. Sometimes you just lose. And the Nuggets had one more run than the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. That was really what it boiled down to. They had an 8-0 run when the Bucs got down to 98-97, and that was really the game. And it's crazy that it goes down to that if you boil it down, but it's true, right? It, it was just squeaked there, but it is like, it, that to me is like, it's all there, right? It, the Bucs were in this fight. They were back and forth. This was a highly competitive basketball game, and it felt like, I want to go as far to say it felt like a playoff game, but it was a high level regular season basketball game. And the Bucs were, you know, in it the entire way through, even though they had a, an abysmal third quarter. It was an awful third quarter. And those type of third quarters under Griffin, they would get run out of the fucking gym and it would not be a game in the fourth quarter. We would be getting ready to do podcasts. We'd be getting ready to go to bed if you're you know, someone who goes to bed early. Like you would just be like, all right, fuck it. We got our asses kicked. And it's like, no, the Bucks hung in there the entire game. And unfortunately, they, they didn't have the last run. And the last one went to Denver. And that's not a surprise, A, because Denver was at home, B, because Denver is a defending champion team. Um, and they also needed the win. They have not necessarily been playing well. So it, all of that is not surprising at all. But I, I think just the fact that the Bucks hung in there, the Bucks kept making shots, the Bucs, even during droughts where their offense didn't necessarily get much going, 
they were still playing their asses off defensively and making sure that every shot was tough on Denver. Yes, Nikola Jokic had a triple-double, but the Bucs made his life tough. Like, it was not easy for Nikola Jokic to get his. And, you know, I feel like in the Bud era against Denver, Jokic has really went to town on Milwaukee. And this was the first time that I can remember where the Bucs were really good against Jokic, where they were just like, they actually played Jokic really well. And Jamal Murray went off, and that's been a growing issue for the Milwaukee Bucks that, you know, these point guards have had a day. But yeah, Jokic had 25 points, but he had he made it on 25 shots. He was 10 of 25 from the field. He was one of six from three. Yeah, his stat line's ridiculous at 25, 16, and 12. Like that's an absolutely absurd stat line by Jokic. But still, they made it hard. Even Murray, who had 35 points, and a lot was made of that because it's like, oh, there goes the Bucs. They can't stop point guards. Murray did it on 22 shots. Again, in terms of like the most efficient from a scoring perspective night, probably was Peyton Watson off the bench who had six points on three shots and, you know, plus 14, the bench outplayed Milwaukee's bench. And that still is an issue and issues still persist. And that's okay. Like that to me is fine. Like, again, going back to the start, like it's not going to be all fixed overnight. We are not going to know the true identity of this Bucks team until two things, until after the deadline and moves are made. And I think moves will be made. And then also the fact is, is it's going to take Doc probably a month's worth of games to really know what this team is. I don't think you're going to have a true picture of this Bucks team until March. And I understand the schedule is very difficult in the month of March, right? Uh, and it's difficult really throughout. But I think it would not surprise me is as, you know, they, they have sort of a stretch here. It's a weird stretch where they are on the road in Charlotte and Chicago, and then they're home to play the Clippers for one game. And then they go back out West to play Golden State, both LA teams and Sacramento. I think that is kind of when you'll start seeing the Bucs. I think that's when you start seeing the Bucs sort of show their face and appear a little bit because that to me starts to kind of, you have sort of the end of the year and the Bucs make their push. And it is a very competitive Eastern Conference. I think that's to me the biggest fear I guess I have, quote unquote, is that the Bucs are gonna be tested. I mean, they have 15 losses, but the Cavaliers have 16 losses. The Pacers have 20 losses. Like, and I guarantee you their schedules are not gonna be what the Bucks are. And the Cavs keep playing well. They had a nice win uh, at home yesterday against the Clippers. Uh, the Pacers are getting Halliburton back uh, for tonight's game against the Celtics. So I, I think that a lot of this is like, they're gonna have to hold on for dear life. And they've played well against good teams. And yes, they lost today, but their numbers against the top teams in the NBA are pretty damn good. So I know that a lot of people are scared of the schedule, but the Bucks are 14 and 11 against teams over 500. And that is the, that's the second best record, I think percentage-wise in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Boston's the only one that's better at 21 and nine. Um, the Pacers are 15 and 13. So like they, they've done better against the 500 teams than even in New York, who a lot of people are hyping up. They've had a really good run, but the Knicks are 10 and 17 against teams above 500. Below 500, they're 20 and up. 
But so the next dirty secret is they can't really beat the good teams. Like they they struggle. Miami, who everybody's feared of, seven seven and sixteen against teams above five hundred. They got absolutely wiped out by the Phoenix Suns. And if you go into the Western Conference, you actually see a little bit of a better conference, even though it's it's bunched up. And no one knows who's going to get what seed. Minnesota's twenty and ten. Nuggets are fifteen and twelve, right around where the Bucks are. Remember, Oklahoma City seventeen and ten. Um, Clippers sixteen and twelve. Sacramento even is fourteen and twelve. Uh, and the the Suns are right under five hundred. So like the the long of that is. I don't think I'm panicking about the schedule. It's really tough, right? You're going to have a lot of tough games, but I I think the NBA builds it that way. The NBA wants people to be engaged in the month of March because of March madness, because football is over. They backload their schedules on purpose and it's annoying as shit as being one of the best teams in the NBA, but that's the price we pay. Okay. So I'm not exactly worried about the schedule and probably did too long on that, but I think it's important to really understand like that this Bucks team is still showing a lot of promise and it's just game one. It's just game one and there's defensive things fixed and Damian Lillard is not playing the entire first quarter, which was ridiculous because the, the minutes sort of on off minutes with Dame were not enough. You know, first part of the fourth quarter, the Bucks were down eight points. There was at least Damiriannis out on the court, you know, in that moment that where Griffin would take both those guys out and they would get blown off the, the face of the map. And right now, not having Damiriannis on the court is not a good thing. So the promise is there. The payoff, it's going to take a little bit, okay? And so I, I think it's just important that we all watch it with the lens of a first 10 games. Can we give Doc Rivers at least 10 games? Can we give Doc Rivers the grace of a, basically the, the not only the all-star break, but the trade deadline and see what pieces. And I'm sure Doc is gonna work with John Horst and say, hey, look, Kevin Herter who's on the block or Caruso or DeJounte Murray would really fit into this stuff that I'm doing. Now, I don't know if any of those guys will be possible for the Bucs, but you never know. And yeah, I, I think we got a long way to go here, guys. And I think it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think this is already better. Um, and there's signs of good things to come. All right, let's do the tap list. So the tap list will run through. It's kind of more on the recap side if we don't have a bigger Bucks point to make and kind of want, wanting to run through sort of what happened during the game, some of the the takes from the game uh, and the the storylines that came of, you know, the Bucks triumph, not triumph, the Bucks failure against the uh, Denver Nuggets. Uh, Number one, Bucks Nuggets would be a fantastic NBA Finals matchup. Uh, As I said, back and forth the entire game, uh, the Bucks are actually a good matchup for the Nuggets. Um, They, the defense they had on Jokic, you know, just through one game was pretty solid. Um, I think it would be an absolute war. I think I would hate Denver pretty easily. Jokic getting Giannis a 10-second violation is bullshit. Um, Fuck him for that. Um, I would hate this team very easily. Um, And I think it would be a hell of a matchup. I think it does favor Denver slightly um, because I, I, I just think that they, the defense they have on Dame is pretty damn good. I'll be interested to see what adjustments they make for the, the 2-12 game 
that's in what three weeks here on another Monday um, in Milwaukee. I, I think this is going to be a great, a great, great matchup between these two teams. And I, I think the Bucks actually probably have the best matchup in the East. And I would say if the Nuggets were to really think about it, and there's Denver pod, I can't imagine that they won't play the Bucks in the finals if they go, they meet up again. Because Boston, you lose Porzingis, and you never know with Porzingis. And I also think Porzingis, you know, it it, it actually works for Jokic. I think Jokic is, you know can bully Porzingis. I don't think he can really bully Giannis. I don't think he can really bully Brooke. And he, oh, and so I think that that works. I think with Embiid, Embiid's just scared of him. And Embiid has basically said that with the, the fact that he hasn't been playing. And they're trying to run cover for that, but he doesn't want that smoke with Jokic, not on the road. And now this has built a narrative. And if you have Embiid going in to Denver, he's going to shit his pants. So I, I think they don't want to see Milwaukee, honestly. Um, number two on that tap list, Doc changed rotations day one. We kind of mentioned that already, but I, I think just impressive that the Bucs were already, you know, doing different things. Uh, no Andre Jackson or Marjan Bochamp in those rotations. I think that that is fine for now. I think Doc wants to see what he has with these guys. I also think that it's a showcase to try to get these guys traded, um, potentially, uh, I don't think that they're going to trade Jackson Jr. I think Bochamp might have to be a part of th- something. I, I do wonder, do they want to hold on to him? And do they want to kind of build sort of the youth of this team as they are getting older? Uh, I've talked about that in the past. I, I've got pushback on that because it's like, oh, you're playing for the future. Well, you kind of want to do both. I, I feel like when you're team building, like not only do you want to win now, the Bucks have shown everything that they need to do to win now, but they also don't want to cut off their face, right? They don't want to say like, all right, in three years, we have no young guys and all these guys are fossils and they're maybe a six or seven seed because everybody got old, right? You got to keep some of that use. So maybe that's part of it. Also, maybe it's just Doc's familiarity with campaign, with uh, Bob Portis, Pat Connaughton, uh, Jay Crowder throughout the years. And he just needs to learn, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of Jackson Jr. and Bochamp. I wouldn't freak out about that. I would imagine that they're going to not play much in the next few games. And then I would I would expect you have those guys out on the court as the weeks go on. Uh, the bench is still miserable. Speaking of the bench, uh, it was another awful day uh, for the Bucks bench. Uh, it has been a pain point for Milwaukee really all, all season. Um, and it, it continued to be a mess in this game. Uh, it was definitely not, you know, what the Bucks slash wanted or needed uh, in this one. It, it was just, I mean, there was some rough stuff here. So the bench tonight had a grand total of 22 points. Uh, it, Bobby Portis was two of 13 from, from the floor. Lisa Byington tried to carry water for him and was like, well, he had 12 rebounds. It's like, yeah, great. He had 12 rebounds, but he also shot the ball fucking 13 times and he missed 11 of them. And he was minus 14 in a game where the Bucks lost by six, right? Uh, Jay Crowder was minus nine. Now he had a nice step back three, but that was all Jay Crowder really did. Uh, Campaign hit a big three at the end, uh, was minus seven in the 13 minutes that he played. Uh, Campaign getting a little more minutes now. Uh, Obviously he had worn out his welcome with Adrian Griffin. Uh, He's getting another chance with the Prunty, now Rivers, era. Pat Conton had seven points. He did get to the free throw line four times, which is interesting, but he was minus 11. So between Portis and Conton, who are your two made cogs, and I guess Crowder, you could put that into the mix. The Bucks were minus 35 
that that is not, I mean, no, actually, minus 34. Uh, give him a little bit of grace. That's bad. That is absolutely awful. Doc called him out. He's like, our second unit was miserable. Doc called out his team day fucking one. Bud didn't do that. Adrian Griffin didn't do that. Doc comes in, swings his dick, and is like, bench sucked. Like, that's great. That's fantastic. That should put all those guys on notice. Especially when you juxtapose it to the Nuggets bench, who was plus 14 with Watson, plus 15 with Reggie Jackson, plus 10 with Christian Braun. DeAndre Jordan's the only one who did not was not in the plus at minus two. And that to me speaks to how bad the Bucks bench is and the night and day difference. Denver's second unit, even though they do not score as much as the Bucks do, they are better players. So I, I just it it continues to be an issue. I think the Bucks know it's an issue. I had a little low-key conspiracy on on the X platform yesterday that Giannis did the big Bob tweet because he knows Bob's leaving. And he wants to wash his hands of it. Um, I think, you know, Giannis, Giannis moves in silence, man. Um, so it would not surprise me. Uh, number four, Damian Lillard just needs to command the ball more in clutch time. Uh, he was not necessarily with the ball early in this, in the clutch time. There was multiple possessions where he did not touch it. Um, and you got to get Damian Lillard the ball. And I realized they were hounding him. I realized, you know, Reggie Jackson, uh, KCP, we're doing a really good job on Lillard. Lillard needs to make sure that he's getting that basketball. And if that is him taking up the court and them running screens, and if they're putting, they're they're pressing him the entire way, we'll figure out a way to free him up. Um, again, it's going to come with time. I'm not really scapegoating Lillard. Lillard having only 13 shots is a little alarming, but again, it's just sometimes you got to take what the defense is giving to him. They they wanted to make Damian Lillard a non-factor. And they did that. And because Dame isn't a superstar, or not, sorry, Dame didn't, has not played with a superstar in the past, these type of games did not happen in Portland. And speaking of that, Denver, Denver's perimeter defense is what the Bucs should really model their team after. Like, the, Jamal Murray is not known for his defense, but the, they did a great job on the perimeter. And they did a great job of hiding Murray and making KCP the main guy. And I think that is why, you know, the Bucks are looking for that point of attack defender because that is exactly what can lead the Bucks to success. And they have better defense on the back end. Jokic is not a good defender. Aaron Gordon, good defender. But it, they have like one good, one bad, and they've done a, a great job of sort of mismatching, not mismatching, mismoshing, I guess would be the right word, to like make sure that they have enough defense out there. So I, I would definitely model out of Denver. In terms of what's next, we have the Damian Lillard return in Portland. Should be a very emotional game for Damian Lillard. I would imagine Damian Lillard is going to probably try maybe a little too hard. And so hopefully, you know, Doc does a great job of just settling down Dame and just being like, play within yourself. You know, don't try to do too much. We are going to give you opportunities to score early and often, but just play your game. Don't necessarily worry about all the outside noise. Portland has been kind of on and off at home this year. Um, they're, they're a bad team, but they've... They've played okay uh, at home this year. They had a nice win against the Sixers uh, yesterday. Granted, they didn't have Maxi or Embiid, uh, and they were able to kind of notch a, a blowout victory, which I'm sure feels good for the Blazers. Yeah, they're 14 and 33, but they're eight and 13 at home. So they're not as bad at home. Um, they are awful um, on the road. So hopefully the Bucs are able to 
beat the Blazers um, and get kind of back on the winning ways. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. We are not even a week removed yet from the Packers firing Joe Barry and Joe Barry no longer being the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. But the Green Bay Packers have made strides in terms of finding who that next guy is. Uh, they have interviewed a bunch of people so far, and I think sometimes it's hard to keep up with who they're interviewing, who they're talking to, and sort of where it stands. There was a rumor going around on Saturday that Christian Parker might get hired uh, to be the Packers defensive coordinator. That turned out either not to be true or Parker left the building without a job offer or he needs to sit on it or the Packers want to see what else you know comes of sort of the upcoming season. Um, Parker, well, we just start there. Parker is a guy who was a, quality, was a quality control guy for the Packers. He was the defensive backs coach for Denver. He's part of that Fangio tree. Um, he's young. He's 32 years old. He was on this staff, as mentioned a little earlier, uh, in you know the Lafleur era. Uh, someone brought up you know him basically pulling rank over guys that are have been there during this era as well. Might be a little weird um, and might be a little uncomfortable. But if they want to get the next new thing, that might be that might be the swing to take. And that would be a dramatic shift from Joe Barry, who is established, who had a resume, to a guy who's just starting out. And that can go great sometimes. You can find your Ben Johnson, right? Or you can also just, it can completely you know, fall apart for you. And this guy is just not ready for it. So that's sort of the Christian Parker, I guess, take of that. Staying with sort of the Fangio guys, if you will, Brandon Staley got interviewed. Um, that obviously gave people a lot of pause. I think we brought up Brandon Staley back in December when he got fired, that that would be basically Joe Barry 2.0 for a lot of people. I think that that is the fan perspective. I will say I, I agree with the sentiment that, you know, he's getting looked at not only by LaFleur, but by Mike McDaniel in Miami, by Sean McVay in LA, coincidentally enough. And I wonder, you know, those guys aren't idiots either and they want Staley back. So they obviously think whatever was going on with Staley as a coach and coordinator, it wasn't working. And maybe the thought is from all those guys, LaFleur included, that Staley just needs to be a coordinator. And if Staley's spending the time just working with the defense and not being the CEO, not making the appearances, not doing the, the shows or, or you know, all the other shit, the administrative shit that a head coach has to do. And if you just let Staley cook defensively, there is a good coordinator there. He is a young guy. Raheem Morris, great example. Guy just got hired by Atlanta. Raheem Morris was fucking awful as a head coach. And he was too young, he was a bright shining star, but he was awful as a head coach in the NFL. Uh, Vance Joseph, the guy who came back to Denver, was an awful head coach. And uh, so I guess the, the, the long of it on Staley is he, as much shit as he got, as, as frustrating as maybe his defense was, it's possible that Brandon Staley was a C, was not a CEO and just needs to be a coordinator. And Dan, Dan Quinn's another example of this, right? We've seen this over and over again, where guys fail as coaches, but then they succeed again as coordinators. I, I, I wouldn't be hyped about Staley. And if you have to choose between Miami and Green Bay, I think you're choosing Miami. I don't think he'd go to LA. 
I think that'd be too weird for him. You know, being in basically the same building as Jim Harbaugh, the guy who replaced you and the team that replaced you, I think he would be more inclined to go to Miami personally. But I I would not give up on Staley. Um, and I, would, I, I wouldn't be happy about it because I think it would be kind of lazy of LaFleur, honestly. But I also would not think that it's going to be this complete disaster. So I, I think that I would not call it Joe Barry 2.0. I would defend that part of it. Uh, as for other guys, uh, Aiden Duran, I think I'm saying that right, or Arden Duran, uh, probably butchered that. Uh, he's the D-line coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he got an interview. He comes from the Dan Quinn tree. Now that would be a departure from what the Packers are doing. Uh, Dan Quinn runs a lot of 4-3. Uh, Dan Quinn has changed from being a cover three guy when he was in Seattle to now more of a cover one. Um, that would obviously require the Packers to have a, a pretty damn good safety. And I feel like if they're going in that route and they believe that they are a 4-3 team, I, a lot would have to change with this defense. And they would have to get another linebacker. They'd have to get another safety. Um, I, I would just wonder if it's too much, especially with all the money and the draft picks you've invested in this defense, I, I'd feel weird about Green Bay going to a 4-3. I, I don't hate the idea. I just wonder, is that exactly what the Packers want to do with their defense? I think it's good to get an idea of what Dan Quinn's been doing. It's been a successful defense in the regular season, uh, but the Packers just tore it up. It's also like, what does that message send? I realize that it's, diff it's different guys, but at the same time, like, that to me is at least a, a little bit concerning or a little, I think, sometimes hard to sell. Bobby Batchich is the another guy that's been interviewed, uh, the Bills linebacker coach. Uh, Buffalo has, you know, ran a zone style defense. Sound familiar? Again, I, I think this is another young guy taking a chance. Is he ready for the moment? He's a coach's son. We, we saw Bobby Slowick be successful in that role. Uh, Brian Callahan, uh, who's Bill's son, which I didn't know. Like NFL is just a big melting pot of nepotism. And, you know, if this guy's ready to go, I mean, the Bills linebackers were always solid. Matt Milano is one of the most revered, I feel like, linebackers in football. And he's he did a great job, you know, with Babbage, did a good job with those linebackers. The Bills defense uh, to me, I, I feel like the Bills always had a good defense. And I know it's like, oh, here we go again, another zone-heavy zone, zone heavy guy. But the Bills defense was solid. Like, I don't know why we're memory-holing and we're saying, like, the Bills defense wasn't good. The Bills defense was just fucking hurt. And they came on strong at the end of the year. They did well against the Cowboys. They did well against the Chiefs in the regular season. They did well against Miami in the regular season. So I, I don't know, like why people would be concerned about a guy coming from Buffalo and Sean McDermott. Like, I, I'd be fine with that. Um, I, honestly, I, I feel like I would be more fine with that than Christian Parker because I, I feel like that's a little bit different. Even though there are a lot of zone principles there, I, I feel good about it. And if he's a good linebackers guy, if you can take Quay Walker up a level and you can draft your Fred Warner, which I, I don't think the Packers have in their roster right now, like go for it. Or Matt Milano, I guess would be the better example, right? Because Bills. But still, like I, I, I'm cool with that. Like I, I, I think I'm more on more in on Babish than maybe the the regular fan, just because it, like think about Buffalo's defense a little bit harder. Like don't that last game should not cloud your hat. 
Like just let's let's think about this a little bit more. So and that's something that's my frustration with fans in general. Um, and why we call pinheads, right? Because I think you just sometimes have to think a little bit deeper on this type of shit. Um, Elijah, oh, I, I butcher his name. It's not Elijah. It's Ariah Evro. Ah, dude. Like, Evro is a guy who the Packers and Rams are both waiting to see what Dave Canales, the new Panthers coordinator, or new Panthers coach does with the defense. Evro has one year left on his deal. Uh, it's $3 million. Uh, Albert Breer had that. Um, and Will Canales you know, keep Evro, or will he want to do something different? Will he want to get a guy who's more like a top, from the Todd Bulls system, right? Where Canales was from, or get a guy from Dan Quinn's system where he, you know, Canales was in Seattle forever. So does he want to do, you know, more of a Dan Quinn style defense? Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Evro. Uh, Evro, again, is from that Fangio tree, a guy who is an absolute rock star, a guy that's going to get a job soon. I worry if it's between LA or Green Bay, would he choose LA? To me, I do think the Packers have an advantage now in terms of, yes, it's not a glamorous city at all, right? But you have Jordan Love, you can win a Super Bowl. I think the Packers have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl than the Los Angeles Rams do. Um, I think the Rams are talented, but I think they still have a lot of pieces to go. And I don't necessarily, I think the defense that the Packers have compared to what the Rams have, yes, we don't have Aaron Donald. Yes, we we don't necessarily have Ernest Jones, who's talented, but they have, to me, the sum of the parts is better than, you know, a couple of the, the rock stars, if you will, on the Rams defense. So Evro is a guy who I, I would love. I just would have to learn how to pronounce his first name, uh, which I, I struggle with. And I apologize. I, shouldn't, I should be better at that. Um, but it gets me every time. Um, and you want to call him Elijah, right? And it's, it's just not it. So apologize uh, for that. Uh, that's bad potting on my behalf. But we'll see what the Packers do. Um, I would imagine they also just interviewed somebody today. Um, the should talk about him quickly. Uh, the the Eagles coach. Uh, let's see here. I'll find it. Um, basically, Darius Slay advocated for him and said that this guy, he'd rather have this guy be the coordinator. It's Denard something or another. Denard Wilson. Pardon me. Uh, Darius Slay said he should have been hired as defensive coordinator over the two guys he had just played for. That's from Bukowski. Um, De- Denard Wilson. It, you know there there's a lot to like about Denard Wilson. Um, this, you know, Pete, shout out Pete Bukowski, really doing, doing good work here. Um, he was a scout. He worked with Steve Spagnola. He worked with Greg Williams, Dr. Heat, worked with Todd Bowles, worked with Jonathan Gannon, worked with Mike McDonald. That is uh, big time. Um, yeah, I'm in. Uh, yeah, I don't know much. I'm all right with that. I'm cool with that. I'm also cool with a guy as a defensive backs coach. Uh, because I, I think that that's something that has lacked the Packers in terms of pass defense. Well, pass defense has actually been okay under Barry, but still, I, I'm, I'm all right with that. So uh, that is your quick take. Let's move on to college basketball and wrap up today's show. Moving on, the resume day. Um, I, I got to get a good title for this um, and sort of figure out wh- how to how to call it, but Every Monday, Tuesday show, want to look kind of under the hood at what's going on in terms of the resumes uh, for uh, the Marquette Golden Eagles and then be worried about, are we worried Wisconsin will get to a Final Four? 
Uh, I was I always kind of think about topics for Mitch and I, weirdly. Um, and I was wondering, oh, do we do a topic of like what would be, you know, who has more pressure in March? But I, I think it's already there that Marquette has way more pressure in March than Wisconsin does. Wisconsin, you know, is it will really be in the conversation for the first time in a few years. And I, I think that they have in this win this opportunity is definitely a little more house money-ish. Um, and I think the pressure on Greg Gard is kind of over. And so I, I don't necessarily know how much they need a Sweet 16. I think Marquette needs a Sweet 16. Um, and But still, it would be worst case scenario if Marquette goes out early again and then Wisconsin goes to the Elite Eight. And, that, and that's kind of how we position this and sort of look at it. I want to talk about Marquette in terms of their brackets. And then I want to talk about uh, you know, kind of the path of if I would be scared of Wisconsin. This is also a great time for Wisconsin college college basketball. Uh, first time ever that Marquette and Wisconsin are both ranked in the top 10. Um, I, asked, so I, I was asked by somebody to say, when was the last time this happened? Uh, they were like, well, maybe 03, maybe, maybe 2013, but this has never actually happened. And be, these two teams being this good, this late, um, well, I wonder if there would be a collision course between the two, if they would set that up. I don't think so. I think the committee would be smarter than that. I know sometimes they like to do that or they like to set up the matchups, if you will. But I think the committee would be smarter than that to separate Wisconsin and Marquette because both fan bases travel. It would be stupid to bring both into the into the mix as one is a three, one is a two. Like separate those two out. Like get those two in different parts of the bracket because I think that would help. And I'll be honest, guards had Shaka's number. I don't really want to see Wisconsin in the in the tournament. I, I'll be 100% honest about that. Um, I would rather see other teams. So let's get into what Jerry Palm has, what Lenardi has. Um, if you have another guy that you like better than Lenardi, I just feel Lenardi did update his bracket, credit to Lenardi. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of Lenardi's bracket. So um, if you have someone you like better, um, please send it along. We'll, we'll take a look. Uh, as for Marquette, they are a two seed against Youngstown State in Indianapolis um, in Jerry Palm's bracket in the Midwest region. Uh, Youngstown State is a great matchup uh, for the Golden Eagles, a run and shoot team. That game would be first to 90. Um, I have no problem. You know, Youngstown State out of the box. The winner, they'd play either Boise State or Kansas State. Boise State would worry me slightly only because they are a packed team. And that's uh, teams that Marquette has struggled with when they they have to, or no, they, they I'm sorry, I reversed that. They they really guard the three-point line. I apologize. They they want you to score inside. and But I, I still think that that is sometimes struggled because Marquette has, is a lot of jump shots and they shoot a lot of three-pointers. And I think over 40%, of their shots are three-pointers. Oh, it might be over 50. And so I, I do worry about that from a matchup perspective. I do think talent and athleticism, they're a little bit better than Boise. And then you have Kansas State as the team they're playing. I, Kansas State's an ideal matchup for Marquette. Kansas State turns the ball over a ton. Um, that's some, a team Marquette could absolutely pulverize. And Indianapolis is a great get for Marquette because you'd have a ton of fans there. Um, that would be a great home court advantage, especially in that little quadrant. If they were to move on, they would either face Dayton or Kentucky. 
Uh, I actually think Kentucky is a good matchup for Marquette. I think the way they play fits to what can they can do against Kentucky. I think the veterans of Marquette versus the young guys at Kentucky are good. Um, I, I don't think Kentucky necessarily wants to see us. That is a region of death, though. It That top four in the Midwest, heading to Detroit, Purdue, Marquette, Kentucky, Duke. That's a blue blood and a light blue blood uh, in that top four. That's a... That could be an incredible Sweet 16 if everybody survives. And it's Purdue-Duke, it's Marquette-Kentucky. I want to avoid Purdue as the one line. I think that's going to be hard, um, just given the fact that one of them is going to be UConn, unless Marquette's able to beat UConn, and maybe they make a a case for a one seed. But that's what Jerry Palm has from a Marquette perspective. Uh, From a Joel Lenardi perspective, uh, Marquette is a three seed still. Um, they're heading out to Pittsburgh. That would not necessarily be as advantageous as as Indianapolis. Still not bad. Um, I actually would love to go see Marquette in Pittsburgh. I've heard nothing but good things about Pittsburgh. Um, I do not have the PTO to go uh, watch Marquette live. But still, um, that would be great. And they would play High Point. Actually a great matchup. Um, High Point is on the rise. I had to d- dig into High Point. I know I knew they've been successful. They're 18 and 4. It's their best season they've had since 2016. It's a great story, but they have played absolutely fucking nobody. The only team they've played that in the Power 5 has been Georgia. And that's it. Other than that, they have not played any top tier program. They have one of the weakest schedules in all. I don't even know how they're a 14. I feel like maybe that's just a credit to the Big South, but we saw, I think it was UNC Asheville. They played UCLA last year. They got absolutely pounded. I think that would be great for Marquette. I think that would be very, you know, again, we just used the word, I can't use the word advantageous again, but that would help Marquette. Uh, they, they're in a pod with Colorado State and Princeton. Uh, would love Colorado State, would hate Princeton. Hate Princeton, Princeton screams Wisconsin. Um, and Princeton, obviously a bunch of their guys back from the, the the run last year. I think Princeton's kind of underseeded. I know they just lost to Cornell, um, but I, I don't know. I, I would I would tend to think that they would get a higher than an 11 personally with the kind of what they've done so far this year. Um, Colorado State's a great matchup for Marquette. Um, that would be, that'd be ideal uh, for the Golden Eagles. If they were to move on, they'd be in the Dallas region with Houston. Um, but they'd have to either get by Michigan State, Tennessee, or Colorado. Uh, Colorado actually actually would be the one you'd hope. Um, Colorado might be a team that is underseeded but could make a run. They have a ton of talent on that team, and they just had some injuries uh, where Tristan De Silva and Cody Williams didn't play. They, you know, I, I feel like we've seen that now in college basketball, and that's I think something you have to watch for now in brackets. Um, but Michigan State, we. We've outlined the struggles with the Big Ten. Um, I do think Marquette would want some revenge on that that Spartans team, though. And then Tennessee. Tennessee-Houston, going back-to-back. If like Marquette had to play Tennessee, then Houston, I don't think they survive it. I think that's that's so physical. That's such a gauntlet. Um, that, to me, honestly, is worse than Purdue Purdue and, and Kentucky. Um, I, I think you can beat Houston. I just would rather have someone else on that two-line, preferably Marquette, honestly. Uh, so that's what we have in terms of both brackets. Um, as for would I be scared if Wisconsin, could Wisconsin get to a Final Four? And would that scare me in Jerry Palm's bracket? Jerry Palm also has the Badgers as a two. Out west in LA, where they did go to a Final Four uh, the last time they were there, 
They'd play Colorado State or TCU. All right, but Eastern Washington round one. Eastern Washington, they they're they they've played a really tough schedule. I don't think they would pull the upset. It'd be in Omaha. Um, not exactly a great home court advantage, but probably the best advantage out of the the four. Maybe Colorado State has a slightly better, but I can't imagine that the Rams travel that well. Um, but Colorado State TCU, not a bad matchup. They'd get either Arizona or BYU or Indiana State, who's going to be very sexy um, in that next round. Um, Arizona doesn't want to see Wisconsin. I know Arizona blew the the doors off of Wisconsin earlier this year, but that is just they there there's tournament demons there, man. Um, and so to me that that does worry me a little bit, but I like that North Carolina team. I think North Carolina would stop them. I know Wisconsin's had some sex, success against North Carolina, uh, but uh, I, I think that North Carolina would stop. I love North Carolina this year. To me, they're, I would have them as like my, in my final four right now as of today. So I'm not exactly worried uh, about that one. Um, if I go to Lenardi's bracket, he also has Wisconsin as a one as a two seed in the East region uh, in Indianapolis. So again, I, I think that that's going to be what's really interesting. If Marquette and Wisconsin stay sort of at the at sort of the same level, right? Does the Wisconsin win over Marquette get them Indianapolis? Does that get them Indy? Um, and Purdue's going to get the other the other Indianapolis spot. All right, Purdue's locked into that unless things go completely haywire for them. They're going to get the other Indianapolis spot. So will it be Wisconsin or will it be Marquette? I think that's going to be a great debate uh, in that region for Lenardi. It'd be Clemson or Mississippi State that Wisconsin would play after Sam Houston. Sam Houston, that's all in Wisconsin's favor. Uh, Wisconsin would walk into the Sweet 16 with that sort of quadrant. Then they'd play either Florida Atlantic uh, or Dayton. Um, at those Dayton's interesting because Dayton's kind of like looking in the mirror for Wisconsin. Um, I, I don't know if that's a great matchup. I'd feel a lot better about Dayton than I would Florida Atlantic. I feel like Florida Atlantic, uh, I don't know if they can emulate the success of last year. I think everybody's going to overvalue Florida Atlantic. Would not surprise me if they go out in the first first round. Uh, and then they get UConn, uh, as long as UConn can get by Kentucky. Obviously, the Kentucky-Wisconsin rivalry would be reignited, but I, I think UConn... Now, that, you want to talk about worst, worst-case scenario? Would be as if UConn not only beats Marquette in the Big East tournament, but then they lose to Wisconsin in the in the March, in March Madness, that'd be a fucking nightmare. Um, so, can't have that. Um, but anyways, I, I feel okay. We didn't talk about Green Bay. I apologize uh, the Phoenix are an AQ right now for the horizon, at least according to Lenardi. Palm has uh, Youngstown State. So would Marquette play Green Bay? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they would do that. Uh, Lenardi has Green Bay as a 16 against Houston. Uh, so I think Milwaukee played Houston a few years ago when they got in. Um, not exactly a great matchup. They turned the ball over way too much for that Houston Cougar team. But still, uh, it was... Uh, Something else. All right, that does it for today's show. I want to talk about that Jeff Goodman thing. I didn't get a chance to. Um, I ran out of time. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I I do have thoughts on it, um, but I just do. I ran out. I maybe we'll do something uh, for tomorrow's show at the tail end for those that care. I know that it's at that point the horse has already been sort of out of the stable and we're, we've already kind of ran its course, but maybe maybe we'll still do it. All right, guys, that does it for today's show. Back tomorrow, we'll recap Marquette. 
Uh, we will talk about other stuff, maybe do some importance rankings uh, for the month of February or do something fun around February. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.